I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Open your Bibles, please, to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9 for a message entitled, Something Good from Something Bad. Something Good from Something Bad. We have been venturing, or maybe adventuring, with that great man, General Joshua, in our series this week. And we have been with him as he sent out the spies and they came to the house of Rahab. We've been with Joshua as he led the people across the Jordan River. We've been with Joshua as he fit the battle of Jericho. and The walls came a-tumbling down. And yesterday, that shocking story of the defeat at Ai and how God uncovered sin in the camp. The, the, the lessons to be learned from the, from the sin of Achan and the shocking death of Achan. Now, I will tell you this. We're going to go from chapter 7 to chapter 9. What is in chapter 8? What is in chapter 8 is what happened after the death of Achan. You know, they, they, Joshua sent out the, 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 some of the soldiers, and they were defeated at Ai because there was sin in the camp. Once sin was removed, they attacked Ai a second time, and they didn't just win the battle. They, they reduced Ai to a smoking ruin, complete devastation. And the king of Ai was not only captured, uh, Joshua, those were tough times back then, he impaled him impaled him on a on a staff on a huge so sort of like an arrow sticking out of the ground big thick impaled him that way and event until he was dead and then had him covered over with rocks it's really a an amazing story now we come to joshua chapter 9 and i begin this way we live in strange times do we not in the last few years We've heard a lot about fake news. What is fake news? Meaning nothing political by this comment. I simply say that fake news has come into our vocabulary as things that we read on social media, things that are on Twitter, things that are on Facebook, things we may hear from the mainstream media that are not necessarily true. Fake news is news that is not true, but is presented to the nation as if it is true. We, of course, are not the first generation to struggle with the problem of fake news. Some of you old old timers, which is a lot of us this morning, may remember an old-timey game show called To Tell the Truth. You remember that one where they would have they would have a celebrity panel and there would be three contestants and the three contestants were not known by by anything to the celebrity panel one of them told the truth 
and two of them were imposters. They'd been coached before the show how to, how to tell a lie in a way that was very convincing. And the celebrity panel had to guess which one of the three was actually telling the truth. And of course, the funny part, the amazing part of that show was how easy it was to trick the celebrity panel. Who is telling the truth these days? Sometimes it's hard to know. We hear one thing on one network. We read one thing on Facebook. Our politicians say, well, you get five politicians these days. They're liable to say five different things. Which one of them is telling the truth? The right answer is probably none of them. Politicians do understand this. You may remember Adlai Stevenson, who ran for president twice as a Democrat, was defeated by Dwight Eisenhower. He once, with tongue in cheek, said this, a lie is an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in trouble. <laughs> so true, so true. Joshua 9 tells the story of the Gibeonites who proved the truth of both sides of that statement. Here is the amazing story of something good that came out of something bad. There are three parts to this story. Let's just now go right through it. First, there is a daring deception. A daring deception. Now, we'll begin just read the story in verse 1. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things. What things they hear about? One, the miracle of the crossing of the Jordan River. Two, the shocking story of the fall of the, of the walls of Jericho and the defeat of what the Canaanites thought was their strongest citadel in the promised land. The shocking story of the fall of Jericho and maybe even the more shocking story of first how the Israelites were defeated at Ai, then they came back and leveled the city, turned it into a smoking ruin, and the story of how Joshua impaled the king of Ai on that, on that great big piece of wood and then took him off there when he was dead and had him covered over with rocks. You know, that kind of news spreads fast. There are two reactions in the text to the news of what the people of God have done. First reaction is, let's go to war and fight them. So we read. When they heard the news, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, and these are named now, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, all the Ite brothers came together and said, we are going to fight. They came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So that's the first idea. Let's get together. Let's get all of our armies and all of our soldiers and all of our weapons. Maybe they defeated Jericho. Maybe they defeated Ai. But they certainly can't fight. They can't defeat all of us if we come together. So that's, that is a response number one. Response number two is from the Gibeonites who said, let's not make war. Let's make peace. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to 
Jericho and Ai. And I'm going to stop right here. Let me just show you this. Take a look at this little map. And you can see that is a perfect reproduction down there in the bottom left-hand side of Joshua, who might have looked something like that, maybe. I don't know. But there you see the Jordan River flowing into the Dead Sea. And in, that, in the blue part, in the blue part down there by the Jordan River, if you were to go just a little bit east of there is Shittim, which is over in modern-day Jordan. That's where they started. They crossed the Jordan River. They came to Gilgal. That's where uh, the, the people of God, according to... Uh, God's command. They were circumcised. Then there was the battle of Jericho, then up into the mountains, the battle against Ai. And the important thing about this, uh, about this is that Gibeon is quite a distance away. It's not really close to Jericho. It's over the top of the mountain range and it's on the western side. And geography is important because this would not have worked. The deception doesn't work if the Gibeonites are like one mile away from Ai or one mile away from Jericho. The, the, Joshua wouldn't have been fooled. But they're just far enough away that he doesn't know who these people are or where they are from. So now I'm going to read verse 4. The people of Gibeon resorted to a ruse, a deception, a trick. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded. I, I got to say, I love this. This is clever. They, this, this took some, some forethought. They came with worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put on worn and patched sandals on their feet. They got out all the worn clothes, you know, the stuff they hadn't given away. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Fantastic. Fantastic. So here comes the delegation. And they, they have the old clothes and they got dust and, you know, they got the moldy bread and they got the patched up sandals and they got the cracked wine skins. Fantastic. They come to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. You see it on the map there. And they said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country. We are several time zones away from here. You've never heard of us, but we have heard of you. We know what you've been doing. We've come from a long way away. We don't want to fight you. We want to make a treaty with you. Now look, before you say anything else, look, number one, it's, you can think what you want about this. I'll give my opinion, all right? I, I, I'm very sympathetic to the Gibeonites. I don't blame. Look, they are Canaanites, right? They are, they are the bad guys. But at least, at least they are smart enough to realize they are on the losing side of the military equation. I mean, they are saying to themselves, look, if Jericho fell... And if AI fell, what chance do we have? And by the way, they were exactly right. Exactly. Because, you know, all these others, these Jebusites and the Girgashites and, 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 and all these others I read about, all of them, they are going to be defeated one by one by one in the days to come. Only the Gibeonites were smart enough to understand the situation they were in. They were thinking to themselves, look. The Jews are planning to sweep through the land. When they get to us, we don't stand a chance. We better make a deal while we can. I don't know. Marlene and I have been watching the revival of Deal or No Deal on, on TV with Howie Mandel. You know, it's what you do and you don't have anything else to do. We've been watching. Are you going to make a deal or no deal? You know? So they are coming and they are saying, look, look. Deal or no deal, let's make a deal. 
Here's the only problem. Joshua, at this point, is not in a deal-making mood. What do you do then? Okay, it's a brilliant plan. It's a combination of two things. Disguise plus flattery. That works almost every time. It's a brilliant idea. First, let's pretend we're from maybe hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And then let's flatter them. Let's butter them up. That almost always works. Now, to their credit, read the text, the Jews were suspicious. They smelled a rat, you know. Oh, come on. If you're so far away, how could you ever have even heard of us? Oh, you know, word of your great victory, God has helped you and all the rest. And, and so the Jews, they don't really feel comfortable with this. But, but the Gibeonites are good. Plus, they didn't have packed sandals. They didn't have cracked wineskins. You smell the moldy bread. I mean, and it's all crusty stuff and, 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 and all this old clothes. And they got dirt on them. And so, yeah, they look like they'd come a long way. You know what? Look. It's like talking to an unscrupulous salesman. You know, you go to make a deal. He's got an answer for everything, right? No matter what you say, he's got an answer. Look, understand what the Gibeonites were doing was they were, they were, they were con men. On a large scale. My only compliment to them is. At least they understood what was about to happen. And they were trying to save their city. I mean if you heard that Jericho was destroyed. And you heard that AI was a smoking ruin. You would try something like this too. They were con men. That they have got an answer for everything. So that brings me to the second point. First there's a daring deception. Second. There is a basic blunder. And the blunder is not by the Gibeonites. It's by Joshua and the people of God. The Jews now face a major decision. Hmm, what are we going to do? I mean, sudden, it doesn't feel exactly right, but they've answered all the questions, and they know about Jericho, and they know about Ahai, and they are dressed the right way, and their food is old. And so they kind of talk it over. And look at verse 15. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it. Watch this. By an oath. That's the real key part of the story here. It's not just they signed a peace treaty. All the leaders got together and ratified it before God by an oath. You know what an oath means? An oath means it was a sacred promise before God. We are saying in the sight of God. We will keep the peace with you. We will protect you. Not only will we not harm you, we will not let anybody else harm you. And that brings up to mind something from Psalm 15. Keep your promises. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain. And here's the answer from Psalm 15. The one who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind who is the one who dwells in god's tent who is the one who can come into god's presence who is the one god god blesses it's the man or the woman who makes a promise and keeps a promise even when it hurts do you remember what ecclesiastes 5 says it says before you come into god's presence don't be making a whole bunch of promises and don't be sloppy about your oaths 
Ecclesiastes 5 says, it is better not to make an oath than to make an oath and to break it before you come into God's presence. What does all this mean? God takes our promises seriously even if we don't. A deal is a deal is a deal. Don't make promises and break them later. Don't swear an oath you don't intend to keep. Don't sign the piece of paper if you don't mean to do what it says. Don't say it doesn't matter because it does. God expects his people to be truthful. So, on one hand, the Gibeonites have been 100% successful. The deal is done. The Gibeonites are safe. There's only one promise, one problem here. Go back. I want you to look down at the text now. Look at the text. Joshua 9, verse 14. Here's the problem. Here's the catch. Here's the kicker. The Israelites sampled their provisions, drank the wine, ate the food, tried the bread, but did not inquire of the Lord. Oh, what a mistake that was. They believed the con that they convinced themselves this was a good deal, but they didn't bother to ask the Lord. We do the same thing, don't we? We get busy. We forget God. We figure it out on our own. You don't mean to leave God out. But let me say, I got to say this more emphatically. You never mean to leave God out. But unless you intend to bring him in, he will always be left out. Got it? You never mean to leave him out. But unless you are intentional about bringing God in, you will always leave him out. Reminds me of the famous words of S.D. Gordon, who said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. That's a good rule of thumb for all the people of God. How true that is of all of us. And by the way, just if you're just dot, 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 make a little mental note here. When does this happen? Joshua, what a mistake he makes. It happened to Joshua after the miracle of the crossing of the Jordan, after the miracle of the victory at Jericho, after the shameful episode with Achan, and after the amazing miracle at Ai, which just tells us we can be very advanced spiritually and still forget God and still leave him out. After all those miracles of deliverance and after that shameful episode with Achan, Joshua still forgot to pray about it. He was a good man who trusted in his gut instincts when he should have asked the Lord to help. Listen, the application is pretty simple, isn't it? If it could happen to him, it could easily happen to you and me. Here's the third and final part of the story. A daring deception, a basic blunder. And the final part of the story is a righteous response. So, according to Joshua 9, they signed the treaty, ratified it with an oath. And remember, here's the promise. The promise is, not only will we not attack you, if any of your fellow Canaanites attack you, we will now defend you against them. Which, by the way, is exactly what happens in Joshua chapter 10. I mean, it's, you talk about an insurance policy. The Gibeonites have got themselves covered going and coming. Everything's fine for the first day. Everything's fine for the second day. Everything's fine for the third day. And all of a sudden, 
Word leaks out. And the text does not tell us how word leaks out. But you know what? People talk, don't they? Somebody put it on Twitter. You won't believe what <laughs> you won't believe what happened when we went to see Joshua. Somebody posted, here's the peace treaty we signed with Joshua. Put that on Facebook, you know. That stuff at social media gets you in trouble. We don't know. We don't know how they found out. But it's hard to keep a secret like a somebody blab. You know, so, some of the Gibeonites were blabbing about it. You know that's what happened. So now the Israelites know the truth. They realize they've been conned. They have, been, they have been conned by really good con men. What are you going to do? And I'm sure some of the Israelites said, hey, look, look, this, let's unratify this deal. This un- we, were, we were lied to, so, so we don't have to keep our promise. Look at verse 18. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, I'll bet. But all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath, and underline that, by the Lord, the God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. This, verse 20, is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath, there's that phrase, same thing as with Achan, God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. At least give the leaders all the credit in the world. They were conned. They were fooled. They didn't ask God for guidance. But at least they understood a deal's a deal's a deal. When you make a promise to God, you had better keep it. They continued, verse 21, Here's what's going to happen. Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Again, all to their credit. They kept their word. The Gibeonites are spared. And now, now the Jews have free labor. They got, they got free workers in their midst who are going to bring the water and going to cut the work and cut the wood for them. Here's the end of the story. Love this. So Joshua is a little bit perturbed as anybody would be. So he calls the Gibeon and says, boys, come here. I got a question for you. Why did you lie to us? Although it really ought to be obvious. Why did you lie to us? Look at verses 24 and 25. So we feared for our lives because of you. And this is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. You know what? Write this down. No, you have to write this down. When all else fails, tell the truth. There's no need to lie anymore. They told the truth. We were scared to death. We were afraid of what you would do. So we came up with this idea. And now we're in your hands, which is true. Do whatever you think is good and right. The final verses give a glimpse, watch this, of the grace of God at work in this story. I said that the title is something good from something bad. Watch this. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites and they did not kill them. Though I'm not going to go into this. Chapter 10, he's going to also save them from their Canaanite brothers who want to kill them because they got angry at what the Gibeonites had done. Okay, fine. That day, he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly. But watch the end of this. To provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. I want to ask a question. Who got the better end of this deal? 
On the one hand, seems to me like a win-win. On the one hand, the Jews get free labor forever. That's a win. The Gibeonites are now serving at the altar of God. In my judgment, that's an even bigger win. When this story starts, they are pagans. As the story ends, they are now serving the Lord at the altar. And what happened at the altar of God? It was the place of sacrifice. The altar of God was the heart of the Jewish faith. It's where the people brought the animals for sacrifice. What this meant was that from now on and forever, the Gibeonites would have a front row seat to watch God at work in the divine object lesson of substitution. They would learn that the, that blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sin. That for all time, from generation unto generation unto generation, from Joshua's time all the way through Saul and David and Solomon and the divided kingdom, not just in the tabernacle, but in the days of the temple, and all the way down to after the return from the exile, the Gibeonites from one generation to the other would serve at the altar of God bringing the water, cutting the wood. They would learn that God must be approached by the shedding of blood. Let me ask a question. Here's a good question. I, I said, what should we learn from this? Uh, let me, I change that. What's this story all about anyway? That's, that's really the question I wanted to put up there. What is this story all about? Some suggestions. Is it about the dangers of deception? If they were con men, is it about the folly of not calling on the Lord? And that's true. You should always call on the Lord. Is it the importance of keeping your oath? Well, you know what? All three of those things are legitimate points from this story. It is wrong to be a con man. I understand why they did it. We should learn from that. And we should learn even more. When you're not sure, always call on God. Seek his wisdom. But I want to tell you, only the third one gets to the heart of what this story is all about. Because it's repeated over and over again in this. We didn't just sign a treaty. We made an oath before the Lord, and that oath must be kept. So now listen. Let me give you, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Gibeon becomes, after this, Gibeon the city becomes a central part of the story of the Jewish people. The very next chapter, the Canaanites attack the city of Gibeon because they are unhappy about what the Gibeonites have done. And Joshua says, a promise is a promise is a promise. So now you've got, you've got Jewish fighters defending the Gibeonites against their Canaanite brothers. And it is in Gibeon that the great miracle happens of the sun standing still in the sky. So now watch this. Roll the story later through the period of rest of Joshua, through the period of the judges, to the time of the first great king of Israel whose name was Saul. Do you remember the story? Do you remember the story? 
of Saul who massacred the Gibeonites. He got angry and he massacred the Gibeonites. And God said, I am sending a three-year famine upon the nation because you broke the covenant promise you made. Roll it on down to the next generation. When David becomes the king, remember he had his three mighty men and then he had his 30 mighty men. Here's the name of one of them from 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Ishmael the Gibeonite, a mighty warrior among the 30 who was a leader of the 30. David had the tabernacle established where? In Gibeon, run the story ahead to the days of Solomon. When Solomon was talking to the Lord in 1 Kings 3, and the Lord said, ask me anything you want. Where was Solomon? He was at the tabernacle in Gibeon. Run the clock ahead later. Generations later. Several centuries later. When Nehemiah gives us the list of the returnees who came back from Babylon. Now do you understand? This is almost a thousand years later. Of the people who came back from Babylon. At the end of the captivity. Ninety-five men of Gibeon are listed. Let's go one generation later, which is a literal thousand years after Joshua. When the story is told in the book of Nehemiah, you remember Nehemiah 3 and they rebuilt the wall so quickly and different groups got diff rebuilt different sections of the wall? One section of the wall around Jerusalem in Nehemiah 3 was rebuilt by the Gibeonites. They are still serving side by side with the people of God 1,000 years later. What should we make from all of this? Number one, the Jews kept their promises. Number two, the Gibeonites have now clearly become a part of God's people. They must have come to know the living and true God. Because you really couldn't serve at the altar for all those years without coming to understand who God really is. So wait a minute. Now in the book of Joshua, we've got two stories of, of Canaanites who've come to know the Lord. One is Rahab. One is the great group of the Gibeonites. One was a prostitute. The other were what? Con men. Give them both credit. Give them both credit. They both did what they did to save themselves from destruction. Rahab believed that the God of the Jews was the one true God. Here's what the Gibeonites said in Joshua 9.24. Your servants were clearly told how the Lord, your God, had commanded his servant Moses. If that's not saving faith, that's on the road to saving faith. Rahab left her people to join the people of God. The Gibeonites did the same thing. They went from the losing team to the winning team. Rahab knew if she was caught, she would be killed. The Gibeonites were found out by the other pagans who tried to kill them. Now... Pastor Ray, are you saying all the Gibeonites became believers? Here's my answer. Only God knows. Only God knows. But listen, listen. This is God's mercy to the Gibeonites. 
out of all the pagan nations in the land. They and they alone were the only ones spared. They and they alone joined with the people of God. You may say, is this academic? Oh, no. Oh, no. Dr. Boyce, in his wonderful book on Joshua, develops this at some length. Dr. Boyce quotes, you remember Francis Schaeffer? Francis Schaeffer talks about Joshua and the flow of biblical history, one of his wonderful books. He develops this at greater length. I'd never read this side of it until I read what Francis Schaeffer said. Then I saw what Dr. Boyce said. And and many other writers say the same thing. They're pointing out what God, God is up. Watch this. God is up to something here. Something good is coming out of something bad. You know what our, you know what our problem, if, if you want to call it that, our tendency, when we read the story of Joshua, we think we're like Joshua. Oh no. Oh no. We're the Gibeonites. We are like Rahab. And we're like the Gibeonites. You know how we get in? We get in with the prostitutes and the con men. You know how I know that? Ephesians chapter 2, what we were and what we are. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's all of us, friends. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away, and hold on to that, hold on to that, you who were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I've told you before, God has his people in unlikely places. Aren't you glad of that? You wouldn't think a prostitute would be counted among the people of God. There she is in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. Aren't you glad? You wouldn't think lying con men would serve at the altar of God, but there it is. You see, we're all born rebels. We're all born hating God. We're all sinners who have missed the mark. Give Joshua, though, all the credit in the world. Even though he was tricked, when he and the others made a promise, an oath, they kept it. You know why? Because we serve a promise-keeping God who makes a promise, who seals it with an oath, and says this in Hebrews chapter 6, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. Promised, He confirmed it with an oath. That's going back to Genesis. He made a promise to Abraham, right? And just so, just so, just so, Abraham and his descendants wouldn't doubt it. He said, in case you doubt my promise, I'm going to confirm it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And I have highlighted that we who have fled. That's us. Listen, God does not change, which means he'll be there when we need him most. In the midst of our difficulty, when our faces are, when we are face down in the muck and mire of sin, 
of, of, of disgrace, of compromise, of, of terrible things we've done, when, when our faces are down, when we have fallen again and again, and, 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 and weeping and in despair and agony, we cry out, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell. I, I'm not really a child of God. I am. Uh, I got a note last week from a young man who is a Christian. I say young man. He's in his 50s, a young man. <laughs> Younger all the time. Raised in a godly family. Raised by godly parents. Who's gone through some struggles, the young man has. And he wrote me and said, Sometimes I think about the mistakes I've made and I feel like God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And I feel like I've sinned so much. God, God will have nothing to do with me anymore. What should I do? But he's a true believer. And I wrote him back and I said, you're worried you've committed the unpardonable sin. That's really what he was wrestling with. I said, I got some really good news for you. I know you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. You know how I know that? If he had, he wouldn't be concerned. Anybody who's committed the unpardonable sin doesn't care. See, the unpardonable sin happens when you lock the door of your heart from the inside and you throw the key away. The real mark of that sin is, uh, is a seared conscience and a hardened heart. He just wouldn't care. I, I wrote him back and I said, oh, my friend. And he is a friend. I said, your feelings are misleading you. You have not committed the unpardonable sin because if you had, you would never have written me. You'd never be so concerned about it. And I quoted this to him and I said, I want you to know something. People wonder, how far can I go? How far can I go in sin? And God will not forgive me. And I said, don't worry about it. No one knows the answer to that because no one's ever gone that far. I agree with Corey Ten Boom. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. And I said, stop paying attention to your feelings. It's the devil whispering into your ear. Your feelings are lying to you. Go back and believe what God has said. What God has said. When we, when we, with our face down, say, I don't deserve to go to heaven, which, by the way, is true, right? I deserve to go to hell, which is true, right? Of all of us. If we get what we deserve, that's where we end up. The Father speaks from heaven and he says, I have made a promise and I swore an oath. Your sin cannot cancel my grace. Thank God for his oath. You know what it means? He's taking us to heaven in spite of ourselves. Because we have fled. That's what Rahab did. She fled. She fled for forgiveness. She fled for hope. That's what the Gibeonites did. They fled for hope. They fled for safety. That's what we do. We fled from the wrath to come to grasp the one true anchor for our soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. So question here at the end. Are we going to see the Gibeonites in heaven? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I have absolutely no doubt about it. Are we going to see Rahab in heaven? I'm sure of that. Then this morning.
my final word. Let us lay aside all pride and all boasting and thank God (laughs) that if he can save a prostitute and a bunch of lying con men, he can save us too. Here is my question. Do you know him? Do you know him? And you say, I'm at word of life. Yeah. Do you know him? Have you come to him? That word fled. I love that. Have you come running to Jesus? Have you fled to the cross? Have you come to Jesus? And have you said, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And you are a wonderful Savior. And I am coming to you. And I am asking you to forgive me of all my sins. And make me a brand new person. Oh, my friends, no matter who you are or where you are, are you a Baptist? Good. Have you come to Jesus? Baptists need Jesus too. I know I'm one. We need Jesus. Methodists need Jesus. Catholics need Jesus. Lutherans need Jesus. Pentecostals need Jesus. Who else is left? Mennonites need Jesus. The brethren need Jesus, right? Church of Christ needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus, right? And people who don't go to church, they need Jesus too. So run, run, run to the cross. Run to the cross. Run to the cross. Lay hold of the Son of God who loves you and who died for you. If you come running to Jesus, he will not turn you away. Aren't you glad for Jesus? Aren't you glad for the grace of God? He saves prostitutes. He saves con men. He'll even save religious people. Thank God for that. That's my plan. I'm getting in on that one. He'll save anybody who will come to him. So let's trust him. He's a wonderful Savior. Now let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who loved us and who died for us and whose grace is good enough big enough, broad enough to save us. Lord, help us not to hang on to our shame and our guilt anymore. Help us to believe that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from every sin. Help us with all the faith that we have come running to Him and trust in Him now and forevermore. We thank You that there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. Thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.